been diligent in school, she had been diligent in university, she had then landed, get this, her dream job, the job that she had wanted to uh, to have since she was a tiny little kid, and she's writing in, why? Because she hated it, absolutely loathed her dream job. That got me thinking, isn't that the case for so many people in this great city tonight. There's so many people in London who have done what? They have obeyed their parents. And so they have studied hard and they've studied at university. They've pursued some career or other. And what is their situation tonight? For so many people in London tonight, what's true for them? They hate their life. Or at least they hate their job. And dare I say this? It's probably the case for some of us in here tonight, is it? Is it? That whether it is working from home, doing things around the house, or whether it's our studies in university, whether it is working in the workplace, that the toil is beginning to take its toll. Well, this evening we're returning after a short break to our sermon series in the book of Ecclesiastes. And so because there's a few visitors in the congregation tonight, uh, can I ask you, what is this? Do you know what's going on in Ecclesiastes? What is this book? Uh, Well, in Ecclesiastes we have King Solomon speaking. And he is speaking about this great quest that he has embarked upon, okay? So it is King Solomon and he's had this huge big hunt for meaning and satisfaction in life. And he's speaking about all of the dead ends that he has gone down in his pursuit for meaning, isn't he? That he's speaking about all of these dead ends, not from the spiritually mature point of view eh, that he now has towards the end of his life. And if we look back, so we're at the end of chapter 2, if we look back, it's all about W's, isn't it? It's all about W's, because having already talked about the vanity of wealth, uh, he's then talked about the vanity of wisdom. Do you remember that? And what does he do tonight? He talks to us here. No, no. God talks to us here by his word. And he talks to us about the vanity, listen, the vanity of work. So that's what we're dealing with this evening, the vanity of work. So I would ask you, if you've not already got God's word open in front of you, to to do that, just turn back and have Ecclesiastes 2 from verse 18, not from verse 17, but from verse 18 open. So it's page 669. And if you're here this morning, we're going to do the same So we did this morning, we're going to do the same this evening. And it's not going to be three, not four, not five, not six, but just the two headings that we will uh, look at. So the first of those is this. We see here the difficulties of work, don't we? The difficulties of work. Okay. Now, Some people, those who have never read it before, some people speak about the Bible in such derogatory ways, don't they? I remember when I first became a Christian, that was very much the case with my group of friends. So you've heard the sort of thing that they would say 
Uh, the Bible, oh, you can't, you can't believe the Bible. The Bible's make-believe. The Bible's theory. It's a, it's a fairy story. Now, I think, and surely it's true, that actually far from the Bible being unbelievable, that the Bible is actually surely the most truthful and most realistic book there's ever been. Is that not right? It is a book that speaks right to the heart of the human condition. And that is surely the case in this portion of scripture that we are dealing with tonight. Because, now just listen, I will read out what Solomon says about work. And I just want you to think about your, your, your own toil, either now or previously in your workplace. Now see if any of this rings true at any point of your life. He speaks about work and he says things like this. Just listen to the language. He says, sometimes he hates his work. That true for maybe some of you are saying, yeah, I, I, can, I can relate to that. Uh, then he says that sometimes his work causes him to despair. Listen to the words. He, he says it causes him anxiety. That actually, he says some, sometimes here, such as the misery of work, that it can cause him to have sleepless nights. The Bible, an unrealistic book? I don't think so. Like, don't you see the realism? It's gritty. Sleepless nights, anxiety. It's gritty. But it's true. So the Bible is realistic. Let's add to that, shall we? The Bible is also very specific as well. And what do I mean by that? Well, Solomon here, he doesn't just moan. And he doesn't just speak in wide generalizations. You following me? That Solomon here, when he's talking about work, he is very specific. And he tells us actually and exactly what it is about work and toil that causes him pain and frustration. And really that's what I want us to look at in in this first heading. Because if you're on the ball and if you're not too tired on your Sunday evening... You'll maybe have noticed that Solomon identifies three reasons why he hates work. <laughs> he talks about three causes for work giving him such a heartache. Okay, so I just want to address those and, and show you those. Okay, so you're ready. Three reasons why toil is so painful. You ready for them? One, Solomon says, or he speaks about the inherent instability instability of work. Okay, tell you what, friends, um, let's just get to the text. Look at verse 18 with me. Look at verse 18. Now, what does Solomon say? He says, I hated work. I hated all the things that I toil for under the sun. Now, we're asking, like, why are you, why are you hating the, the, the things you've toiled for? He says, because... I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And, what's the problem with that? Who knows whether that person will be wise or a fool. Yet, look what he says, yet he is going to have control over the work into which I have poured my effort. So do you see the problem? I mean, do you see what Solomon's doing? I mean, he's looking at everything that he's built. He's looking at his work. 
He's looking at everything that he has achieved, everything he sweated for, and what is he scared about? He's scared that all of this is just going to go up in smoke. All of this is just going to, it's going to be ruined. That's what he's scared about. See, what does he know? He knows that at some stage or other, he is going to have to give what he's worked for. He's going to have to give this over to someone else. And what's the problem with that? Well, who's who's to say that the person he gives it to isn't going to be a complete and utter idiot? That's what he's scared about. Who's to say this next person isn't going to be a complete and utter fool? And maybe if you know your Bibles, maybe you see a prophetic element coming in there. Because maybe just... Solomon at this point, at the end of his life, Ecclesiastes is looking at his son, Rehoboam. And maybe he's looking at the future. And maybe he sees it. He sees the utter mess that Rehoboam is going to make of all that Solomon has built. And whether or not that's true, surely you would agree with me on this. That this is very much relevant to you and to me, isn't it? Isn't it? Whether it is a minister who, let's say in another place, he spends his whole life, decades, trying to build up a congregation to be biblical and Christ-centered, only to see a liberal minister come in and ruin it all. Or whether it is a businessman, spends his whole life building up a business, only to pass it on to his incompetent child. Or whether it's you, And a project that you're doing at work that eventually, after you pour your heart and soul into it, you've got to pass it on to a colleague or another department or your boss, somebody who you know is most likely to make a total pig's eat of it. Work has an inherent instability to it, doesn't it? Doesn't it? There's a second problem here because Solomon also speaks about the inherent, inherent unfairness of the workplace, the inherent unfairness. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we know, don't we, that the reading of a will can be a time of great and incredible stress for a family, don't we? I know that some of you have been in that situation before. Even if you haven't, the reading of a will, you've seen it on TV in a film or a movie or something like that, haven't you? You know that moment where somebody dies, a parent dies, and the whole family get together, let's say in the lawyer's office, and it's it's read where the money's going to go, where the inheritance is going to be shared. It's a t- you know what that's like. It's a time of suspense, and it's a time uh, of tension. I think it is that sort of thing that Solomon's thinking about, because if you look at verse 21, look at second complaint here. It's about inheritance, isn't it? Verse 21, he says... I despair about work. And we're asking you, why, Solomon? And he says, because a man may do his work with wisdom, then move on a bit, and then he must leave all that he has owned to be, and the sort of, the flow of it in the original is that what he leaves is to be enjoyed by whom? Someone who has not worked for it. So do you see his beef? Like, do you see Solomon's complaint here? Again, he's looking at all that he's poured his heart and soul into and everything that he's earned. And what does he know? He knows that someone else 
not him is going to enjoy the fruit of his labor. Do you see it? Like Solomon's thinking, I've built this. I've put my heart and my soul into this. And it is someone else who is going to profit and benefit. And, and again, come on, surely you in here tonight, you know the truth of what Solomon's saying here. Because isn't it right? We slave away day by day. You work hard. Like you get up very early in the morning and you go to work and you kill yourself at work and you come home and you are exhausted by the end of the day. And what is the very hard truth at the end of that? Most of what you earn is going to go to somebody else. And you know how life works. Eventually, at the end of your life, where's the money going to go? Maybe it's going to go to that pain in the neck son-in-law that you'll have at the time. Or maybe it'll go to a child that you love. Yeah, you love your child, but they're not going to appreciate the money. Or maybe it's like this. You work hard, and who benefits just now? Your boss. Isn't that right? Isn't it, though? Like, we slave away. Is that what you're thinking? We slave away for a pittance, and who actually benefits from that? It's the company director. It's the boss who's driving around in the nice car. You see it? There is, as Solomon's saying here, an unfairness, an inherent unfairness to work. And then the third of these problems. There is an inherent futility to work. Uh, This week I found myself reading an article um, about the tomb of King Tutankhamun. The tomb of King Tut. And I hadn't read much about this in the past. Very interesting to read of what happened and how it was discovered and so forth. The thing that struck me about the whole episode was what they saw when they opened it up. They open up uh, the tomb of King Tut. What is inside? Something like five and a half thousand different artifacts. You know, gold was there. Silver was there. You know, perfume bottles. I mean, five and a half thousand different artifacts in that tomb. Now, here's my question to you. What was not in the tomb? King Tutankhamun was not in the tomb. Like, skeleton might be in there. The sarcophagus or the coffin or whatever. His soul? Soul was not there. And isn't that, you know, isn't that a classic case of you just, look at all this stuff, five and a half thousand artifacts. You just can't take it with you when you go. And I think it's that sort of thing that is really, really troubling Solomon here. Because look at verse 22. Like, listen to his cry of despair in verse 22 when he considers his work and his toil. He says, ultimately, what does a man get from all of this? Look at it. What does a man get from all of this toil in his life? And I'm thinking, tonight you see his point because it is the same for you. If you and I tonight, if we look at our jobs, you look at your job and your toil... And you look at it from a secular point of view. Here's the thing. What difference does your job actually make? From a secular point of view. 200 years from now, 
What difference is it going to make? Like if we think about the people who will be working around this building this week. Imagine what's going on around here. All this hive of activity. All of these people. And let's say they're working on a financial project. And there's so much stress. And they'll be working till 11 o'clock at night. 12 o'clock at night. Every night. And from that secular point of view. What is it? What does Solomon say about that? What do they gain from all of this toil? Nothing. Like on their deathbed. That financial project. It is going to mean diddly squat. Isn't it? Isn't it though? Friends, you see, I'm sure, what Solomon is saying here. Perhaps you can relate to it in your own life. Under the sun, what is work? From a secular point of view, what is work? It is a nightmare because we toil, we labor, and for nothing. So we see the difficulties here of work. The difficulties of work. But I said two headings. So secondly, and in contrast, we see the delights of work. The delights of work. Now, if you've, uh, if you've been part of LCPC for the last number of months, you'll know that um, the book of Ecclesiastes, we have said, is a dark, dark book. There is a bleak portrait for you and for me of, of secular humanism. A bleak portrait of the secular world. That's what we're dealing with in Ecclesiastes. So we're saying time and time again, it is dark, people. It is dark. But what happens here in Ecclesiastes is that sporadically through the book... Solomon actually shows us, now and again, on occasion, he shows us what what one commentator calls shafts of light. That like in a building, in a power cut, the book of Ecclesiastes shows us little occasional rays of emergency lighting that guide us on our way to the end of the book. That's what happens in Ecclesiastes. There are, and there, there's, no, there's not many rays of light, but there's a few. And what I want you to see is that we come to one of these shafts of light in what comes next. Because I ask you this, in light of what everything, that, in light of everything that Solomon has said thus far about work, and you would agree with me that what he said thus far about work is pretty negative. Isn't that amazing to see what he says in verse 24? Isn't it? I haven't said all this about work and it's a nightmare and he hates work. Verse 24, he actually talks about the joy of work. He actually says that it is a good thing if we can find enjoyment. There is the possibility, he says, of enjoyment in the workplace. Now how can he possibly say that after that background, that dark background about work? How can he say that? Well, I want you to think about it like this. We all know people who are obsessed with work. I'm sure that's the case for you, do you not? You know people uh, for whom work is everything. Isn't that right? I uh, know someone like that. I've got a distant relative 
who is absolutely, he will remain nameless so that I don't get into too much trouble. But he is obsessed with work. You know, he fits this to a T. Uh, he pours his whole life into the workplace. And when he comes round and when we meet him, you know what the conversation is going to be. Because you know he's going to talk about work. The thing is about this guy, he is not a particularly happy man. What's going on there? Like, what is that? What is that all about? Well, there is a man who is seeking to find everything that he needs in life from his work. Like, that's, that's true of him. And I'm sure it's true for the people you can think of who are obsessed with work. They're trying to find everything they need in their work. They're f- trying to find the joy in their life, in their workplace. And they're trying to find meaning and satisfaction in their life. And they're trying to find that in what they do. And do you know what? A lot of these people are actually trying to find their own identity, aren't they, in what they do in their work. And and what is the problem with that? Do you see what the problem is? Friends, we can't take from work more than work is able to give. Do you see what I mean? Like, we cannot find our identity in what we do. We can't find our identity in work. Why not? Because neither we nor work was made like that. How are we made? We are made to find our identity where? In the Lord Jesus Christ. In Almighty God. Is that not right? That's why work never ultimately satisfies us. We can't find our identity in work. We find our identity in the Lord God Almighty. We are made for relationship with Him. And so stick with me for a moment. Do you see how that truth, that we are made for for relationship with God, do you see how if we grasp that, we can find enjoyment in the workplace? Do you see it? Listen to me in this. True joy at work is found only if we view our toil as part of our service to Christ. I'll say that again. Please get this. True joy in the workplace, it will only be found for you if you view your work, your toil, your service, if you view that as part of us in the sphere of service of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I want to do is just very practically apply that in two ways, okay? One, for your colleagues at work. Now, I know as your pastor, as your minister, because you've told me about this a lot, that many of you struggle with the people you work with. (laughs) Isn't that true? That some of these people can be really difficult. And they might be a nice person outside of work, but in work they're an absolute nightmare. And you struggle with this. How does a relationship with Christ Jesus, how does that change? How can we possibly, possibly love these? How can we possibly enjoy working with those really difficult people? How? Well, think about it like this. Let's say someone in the congregation has said they want to go overseas on a mission trip. I'm going to be very specific. I'm going to choose someone. Choose Laura. Okay? Let's say Laura comes to us and she says that she wants to go to Zanzibar. She feels called to go to Zanzibar to work alongside Muslims, to work with Muslims, to try and share the gospel. 
Now, if she says that to us, how will we, here's the question, how do we expect her to behave when she goes off as a missionary? What would you say? I'll tell you this. We would not expect her to immediately be exasperated with her co-workers. Would we? We wouldn't want her to get immediately cheesed off with these Muslims that she's working with. Would we? No. We sent her as a missionary. And when we were supporting her in this, she's doing this for, the, for God's glory. We want her to love these people, even if they're difficult, right? We want her even to try, try and find opportunities to speak of Jesus. Isn't that true? And you know where I'm going with this, don't you? It's the same for you. And it's the same for me, whether it is at a university or whether it is in the workplace. What has God done? He's called you to himself and he's called you to be a missionary. You are a missionary from God, a missionary in your workplace. And if you begin to view the people you work alongside in that light, do you know what happens? Things change, don't they? I'm a missionary. I'm a missionary from God. You begin to, to see the challenge in the workplace. You begin to actually enjoy and thrive working alongside these difficult co-workers. Why? Because you see what you're trying to do. You are trying to point them to the glory of Jesus. So it works for your co-workers. There is a second. Because this same principle, it actually applies for the for the actual work that you do. Now, I'm saying that a lot of you have told me about the difficulties you have with your co-workers. Uh, there's a flip side to that. A number of you have also told me about the nature of the work that you do. And a lot of you have said, do you know what, Andy? It's dull. You know, a lot of you say that about your, your job. You, you say that actually it's, it's quite mundane and I sometimes even it's kind of tedious and I kind of struggle almost to, to get up in the morning and go to work. Does that sound familiar to you? Does it? If so, I want you to get this quote. This is my new favorite quote of all time. Okay. So this is Martin Luther and he's writing uh, to that situation, and he says this. You ready for this? He says this. Even a dairy maid can milk a cow to the glory of God. And isn't that true? Isn't it lovely? Even a dairy maid can milk a cow to the glory of God. You see what he's saying to you? You see it? Like even... Us in the most tedious job, in the most mundane job, the most, the, the most painful job, the most horrible job, the most dull job, the most boring job. Guess what we can do? We can derive delight in this if we see it for what it is. It is an opportunity to bring honor and glory to Christ Jesus. We do even the most mundane tasks. We do it with integrity. We do it with dignity. To honour God. And I'll, I'll close. Let's just bring it all to a close. Just like this. Okay. This is how we end things this evening. The last verse. The last verse. What happens? Solomon breaks humanity into two groups. That's what he does. And there's one group. If you see it. 
is those people who can work and toil, receiving from God wisdom and knowledge and happiness and all these spiritual blessings. Awesome. That's one group. There's another group. And it's the group who work and derive no purpose. They do not consider God. They derive no purpose and joy from work. You've got two groups. You see it? Humanity. My question is, how do I get into this group? Number one. Like, I want the spiritual, I want the happiness. I want the knowledge, I want the wisdom here that God's promised. How do I get into that first group? Do you see? It's at the start of the verse. God gives these spiritual blessings to whom? To the man who pleases him. How do we please God? Well, thankfully, God has told us in his word. In John's gospel, we read this, that the way to please God is to do what? It is to do the work that he requires. I ask you tonight, do you know the verse? Do you know what the work that God requires is, friends? Do you know what it is? What does he require? The work that God requires is to believe in the one that he has sent. And I want you to see tonight just how important that is to believe in the one that God has sent, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I ask you this in closing, what is it that Jesus Christ has done for you if you're a Christian tonight? What has he done for you? He's worked. And he's toiled for you in a way that you can perhaps never possibly conceive. And he's worked harder for for you, in, a, in, a, in such a hard way that it makes the toil that we do week by week appear like nothing. For you, he is not just sweated this sweat of toil. But for you, he has sweated the blood of anguish. He's not just borne a burden of work that we like to moan about. He's not just borne that. He's borne what? The sin. And the disobedience of your heart before God. And so friends, surely you see that he, the Lord Jesus Christ, should be our focus as we go out there this week into university or into the workplace or toiling at home. It's Jesus Christ that should be our focus. And if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian in here, you need to understand this clearly. You're not working to pay the bills. And you're not working just to get to the end of the day. And you're not just working to save a little bit of cash. If you're a Christian, what is the ultimate purpose of your work? It is so that the King of Kings might be further praised. We must remember that. Let us do that. Let us go out into the week. Let's go out into the workplace and let's do it all, all of it for the glory of our God. Let's pray.